three, two, one, go. Something is happening in China, something that the world has never seen before. And if you think I'm being melodramatic or trying to get your attention at the beginning of this podcast segment, you'll be happy to know that I am quoting someone, Kai Strittmatter, German author. He says this, The China we once knew no longer exists. The China that was with us for 40 years, the China of reform and opening up, is making way for something new. It's time for us to start paying attention. Something is happening in China that the world has never seen before. A new country and a new regime are being born. This is Retrace, segment number 49, for November 13th, 2022. It's a Sunday, Sunday night, 11 p.m., 8 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon in Beijing, 4 a.m. in I don't know, have they done the changeover yet in Australia? No, not yet. 3 p.m. in Sydney. A new country. A new regime. What are we talking about? Well, you can be sure that China is not effing around, hence the title of this segment. Let's recap, just briefly, so that we can talk about China now. She's country. The China under Xi, but it's not, you know, he didn't do this. He's just taken the helm at the time when this has started to happen, or this new sort of phase of China, this new era of China has become evident. He's a huge part of it. He's the leader of it now. But I think it would be happening in some form, no matter who was at the helm. We're going to talk about the best of it, the worst of it, and the prospect for war between the United States and China, and really the world in China, or the world in itself, because Russia's going to be with China. Who else is going to be with China? Philippines, maybe? All right. Retraces about what's going on out there, by the way, in case you don't know that that's where we're about here. What's a model of China? We've talked about this already. This is how you should think about China. It's the most people with the most history, mostly doing well, except lately, and that's like 1800s to 1900s, and now making a comeback, let's say late you know, 80s, 90s, 2010s, and now 20-teens and 20s. It's 1.4 billion people striving, intense competition in business, love, and life, government by a single party, Chinese Communist Party. They've risen in a U.S. world, and they are speaking Chinese the whole time. Different language from you and me. Hopefully you're bilingual, but probably not. Statistically, you're not. That's a model of China. What's our hypothesis about China? The U.S. is no longer the only superpower. War is likely. H4. Go back to Re-17. Read all about it. That's our hypothesis. That's why we're thinking about China. Although, you could look at literally any of the hypotheses, any of the 12, and there should be more, and we, would, we will eventually get to more. And you will see how China because it is so important, is relevant to all of them, as we've said. What did we talk about on the last segment? We talked about China from the Opium Wars to basically to Xi, uh, roughly the you know, 1820s, 30s to 2012. Drugs, Mao, and money. It's all about getting the better life. Drugs were a thing, but really it became the, fo the focus, the clear difference between China and the West the difference maker was technology, and then 
After they tried collectivized development under Mao, they switched to a more more compromise or, let's say, capitalist market-oriented development under reformers of various names until she. Now, since 2012, when she took power, something's happening in China, according to Stribmeyer. He wrote, We have been harmonized. Life in China's surveillance state. Probably the best. That and I think Ross Anderson was the one who wrote the piece in The Atlantic. I think Ross Anderson, when China sees all. Read Ross Anderson first, and it's like an audible, not audible, autumn. So you can, you know, multitask. And and Strip Modder's book is inaudible. Make time. You're listening to me. I'm glad you're listening to me. You will not regret listening to those two things I just mentioned, Anderson and Strip Modder. The best, the worst, and war. That's what we're going to talk about in today's China. Let's start with the best. The thing that strikes me about China, and I've been there many times by watching YouTube videos of people walking around holding cameras, my many visits to mainly Shanghai and Beijing via YouTube videos from people walking around with cameras, my many visits via these cameras and YouTube, I've been struck by just how impressive it is. Look what their cities look like. Somebody said to someone, oh no, who said it to whom? Oh, I'm not going to be able to cite this. But a visitor, regular visitor to China was speaking with his friend, a Chinese, who was asking for advice on where to visit in the United States. And the first person said to the Chinese person, well, you should visit New York. And the Chinese person said, every time I go to New York, it's the same. Why would I want to go to New York? It's, it's always the same. That tells you the difference between cities in China, you know, the tier one cities in China, Shanghai, Beijing, uh, I guess you count Hong Kong as, you know, part, they're, they're, they were not part of the mainland, but now they are. Um, and there are a couple others. Guangzhou, I think, or is that a province? I forget. Um, they are just, in. I mean, they're just stunning in their scale in their beauty in their boldness in their cityness and you'll hear a lot about like if you go on youtube and you search you'll see a lot of stuff about buildings falling over and tofu drag product that stuff doesn't happen in the tier one cities okay they know how to do engineering it's just that the further you get out from the hustle and the bustle the the more people are cutting corners and under pressure to make something out of nothing and end up making worse than something out of nothing. They make negative something out of nothing and a building falls over or a bridge falls down or a hole emerges in the middle of a road. But that's not the tier one cities, man. These places are amazing. So I've seen via YouTube videos. There's a lot of good happening there. That's just amazing what they've done and it's been at a breakneck pace and it's like it's just, I, I, I admire it. I admire it. They're, you know, arguably the number one economy. We talked about different ways of deciding that question. Is it, you know, do you include the exchange rate? Do you use purchasing power parity? Whatever. 
doesn't matter. They're close enough to the United States where you have to like sort of decide your metric to decide whether they're the number one or number two economy. The Belt and Road Initiative, I'm putting that in the good category, part of the best of China, because even though there are all these sinister overtones in everything that China does, because, as we'll get to in a minute here, the Chinese Communist Party has some real evil at the core of it. Remember also that, that the China, China is not the Chinese Communist Party. Even though the Chinese Communist Party is big, and even though its, its tentacles are everywhere, and you could be a member of the party and part of those tentacles, you don't, aren't necessarily evil just because you're in the party. But, depending on what you know, and certainly what you participate in, you will quickly switch sides from good guy to bad guy if you're in the Communist Party. So it seems. I don't have experience with this, but it seems logical. But the Belt and Road thing, you know, whatever sinister overtones you can put on it, they're trying to ensnare everyone in their economic snares. It's they're they're it's they're building. Okay, so I looked up what is what is Belt and Road? What does the Belt refer to, and what does the Road refer to? Because I'd never I I've, I've Googled this a couple times and never been satisfied with what I found, and so I just did it just before we got on, got live here, and and because I wanted I remembered I was going to have to explain this. This is what I got from you uh, from Wikipedia, and it's from they're citing a an article in the Guardian. The Belt part of the Belt and Road Initiative initiative refers to uh, the Silk Road Economic Belt. So the Belt refers to the Silk Road Economic Belt, and the Road refers to the Maritime Silk Road. Got that? I told you they're speaking Chinese. It doesn't translate easily. It's a different language. Clearly, the Belt and Road Initiative was a tough translation. So just think roads, railways, um, shipping lanes and ports. Uh, what else? The Wikipedia article is skyscrapers as well. Bridges, tunnels, dams, coal-fired uh, coal power plants. That's what this economic network the Belt and Road Initiative is and is becoming and is and will continue to become as it continues to grow. Great. That's great. More economic activity, more lower friction in, in trade is good for everybody. It's good. Overall, all other things being equal. Now, you can always, oh, look how it's affecting the this and then, of course, yes. Yes, of course, there are always downsides, but it's economic friction going down is a net positive. I think that's a safe statement. If you think that's controversial, you think everything's controversial, you need to chill out, okay? Some things are good. We don't want to go back to the state of nature. We have to go away from that. If you want to go back to the state of nature, you can. There's still woods. There's still savanna. Go run from the lions and tigers. Go hide from the bears. But the rest of us want belts and roads. Now, I, gotta, I hope it's clear at this point. I'm not an apologist for China. I, the Chinese Communist Party is it's evil. It's evil. Be, I mean, based on what we know, we're going to get to this. The organ harvesting alone makes it evil. You don't have to know anything else. You don't have to know about the surveillance state. You don't have to know about this, that evil. But there are lots of things that reveal the evilness. And even if their intentions are good, like lots of good people do evil things. And, it, and you, you know, if you keep doing evil things over and over again, guess what? 
you're evil, right? Okay, so I'm not an apologist for China, but the principal idea of a Belt and Road Initiative is good. The, she did a purge of corrupt Communist Party officials. That's great. Corruption sucks. I can't imagine living in some of these countries that have to deal with this, that have to grease palms all the time and pay arbitrary gatekeeper tolls to do commerce, to do trade, to bring value to customers. I'm glad. I mean, my country's got corruption, and maybe it has more than I realize. Um, but I know a lot of stuff, and I, I feel like I have a good sense of like how much corruption there is. And I've dealt a lot on the business side as a small, small, small business owner. I can see. They, they've, there are lots of opportunities to fleece me and screw me, and they don't. It's just there's just too much paperwork, and that's sort of like a byproduct of living in a complicated society. It's not corruption. So she got rid of a lot of corrupt officials. Oh, well, you know, they weren't really corrupt. He was just purging the party of his opponents. Okay, that's power. That's what people do when they get power. They don't sit around and say, hey, all these people, look at how they like the power the way I like it, and they're probably going to get it if I don't do something to stop them. Yeah, okay. There's nothing particularly evil about that. How you do it is different. How you do it is different. But... I, I don't think he had people killed. He might have imprisoned them or he might have kicked them out of the party, but I don't know. I don't know. Leave it at that. We're going to say getting rid of corruption in principle and prima facie on its face, on the surface, is a good thing. The Evergrande real estate debacle or real estate holding company or development company debacle where they, you know, they over leveraged and got ahead of themselves and suddenly couldn't build and were using the money from previous mortgages that weren't finished, you know, on projects that weren't finished and then eventually, you know, eventually collapsed. It's not quite a Ponzi scheme, but, you know, it's some cousin of that. It's good. You didn't know I was going to say that. It's great. It's excellent. Sort of. It's basically, it's like people taking risks. To, you know, in, a, in an economic system, in a society built around an economic system, an engine of growth that actually works, that leads to a civilization in Carol Quigley's taxonomy, you know, you, you have to have, people have to be incentivized to take risks, and they're going to take risks that end up going bad. And people are going to be affected. And I'm not at all saying that there's anything good about the affected people. I'm just saying that the idea of risk, which sometimes gets out of hand in every country, in every situation where it's repeatedly taken, re taking reasonable, manageable risks is good. But you can't say, Reasonable, manageable risks are good, and then when someone misjudges the reasonableness or the randomness of a risk, uh, the reasonableness or the um, manageableness of a risk, <laughs> these are, words are hard to put into sentences. You can't say if they m misjudge something that it was evil. Misjudgment is not evil. So let's say Evergrande was a misjudgment in an otherwise good environment of risk-taking for the betterment of a civilization. TikTok. TikTok. Are you on TikTok? I'm not on TikTok. I think this segment alone means I probably... I won't be get kicked off TikTok, but um, I'm certainly going to be 
shadow banned. You can't say the Chinese Communist Party is evil. They own TikTok. They don't own it, but they own everything. It's like there's no com- there are no companies in China that are protected from interference by the Communist Party. You know, they are required by law in China to be responsive to all requests for information. And even if they weren't, you know, the the, the spying and I mean, it's just the, <laughs> but they are. And TikTok is one of them. Byte Byte Dance is the parent company. TikTok is one of them. So if you're using TikTok. You just have to understand, just like if you're using Facebook or Google, there's a whole history of this stuff happening in the United States, but it, a lot of that history takes place before the advent of serious AI, serious, you know, large-scale, deep neural network sort of stuff, um, whereas TikTok is like smack dab in the middle of it. But anyway, I'm not saying it's the same, okay? The U.S. government is way, way million times better than the Chinese Communist Party, but they're... You know, in the, in the U.S., it's in the form of the NSA mostly, is what we what we know from the outside. I don't, I'm not an insider; I can't tell you about this stuff from the inside. But the general consensus is, especially after the Snowden documents, that you know the NSA can get to anything in our country and anywhere else. CIA is not supposed to do things domestically, but you know, how would you know, right? Chinese Communist Party is exactly the same with their con- with their companies. And they've 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 undoubtedly infiltrated all of our companies to some degree, but they don't have to infiltrate ByteDance. ByteDance is chartered, and I don't know if they use that word. I don't know exactly what it takes to form a corporation in China, but it's going to be something analogous to what it is in the West, where you, you know, you have to apply to the state with a char- to get a charter. You have to you have to have permission from the state. In the United States, it's an, it's one of the fifty states if you're a corporation, and in China, it's probably the Communist Party or some one of the there's this whole complicated constellation of entities that forms the communist party and the and, and the government and how they're yin and yang and all that stuff but anyway they don't need to infiltrate you they just send you a notice that you need to provide this sort of access and you have to you have to if you're in you know, hong kong certainly anywhere in the mainland so bike dance which owns tiktok is part of that their servers are in the United States. So what? You can log into servers remotely. It doesn't matter. But it's still a good thing because it's innovative. Why are so many people in the United States using TikTok? Well, they did. They made a good thing. That's a good thing. If you hate TikTok because people get crack addicted to it and it makes stupid videos, you have to hate every video making platform, including YouTube. This one that we're on right now. Just going to be bad on these things that are sort of platforms that are sort of content neutral. Although I, my understanding is TikTok is not content neutral. It's very curated. And certainly you can't get on there and just, it's nowhere, there's nowhere near as much free speech and contrarian thought, you know, expression on TikTok than as there is um, on a, a platform like YouTube. Although of course, you know, lots of people complain about censorship on YouTube and all of that's valid. Um, depends on what you think is, uh, Fair game in terms of censorship. I mean, these are private companies. I'm not going to get into that. TikTok is an innovation. YouTube and Facebook are cop- and Twitter are copying the innovative aspects of it because people like it. Oh, but it shortens people's attention spans and it's stupid. And uh, that's your opinion, and I I agree with you. It's stupid. Like I I haven't ever se- I haven't been on TikTok TikTok at all really I've, i i only see videos and advertisements for it not being on the platform 
because I don't want to put it on any of my devices because of the things that they do with the hardware identification. I'm just paranoid like that. But, you know, I think, I think most of what I see is stupid and a waste of time, but that's not, it's not for me to judge that stuff of what other people do with their time. I do with what my, my time what I want to, they do with theirs what they want to. If you want to persuade people otherwise, you need to go talk to them directly and treat them like human beings and adults, which they are. Whatever people are doing with TikTok, it is some sort of, you know, economic good. Not economic good. It's some sort of innovation. You know, it's a good innovation, or some core of it is. It's in the good category. The military buildup in, in China, the military buildup is good. Why? Well, it's sort of like a natural consequence of technological development and economic success. They're not building a military instead of having a good economy, instead of inventing things, jumping to the cutting edge of AI like they're doing. They're doing it in addition to, as a consequence of. You're not going to get a country like that to, to go gangbusters for 30 years and continue to, you know, w without, they're going to buy some guns. They've got more to protect, right? Okay. Enough about the best parts of China. And I don't know much about, like, I don't have first-hand knowledge of the culture either. I mean, I, I would probably go there and I would tell you about all kinds of things that I love, more sentimental things. But from an outsider's perspective and more, you know, macroeconomics and macro history, that's what I'm seeing. TikTok. <laughs> macroeconomics and macro history. What I see from this lens is TikTok. What about the worst of China? The list is longer. But it starts with two of the things that were on the best list. You know, there's that, um, you ever see, uh, I think it was called City Slickers? With, with, uh, anyway, you know, his, his best day was also his worst day. One of the characters in that movie. The military buildup. That can't be good. Why? Well, you know, when you've got a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. When you've got a gun, you start thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to need to draw my weapon. When you've got an aircraft carrier, even though it might not work that well for the moment, maybe we launch some planes. We've got some battleships. Maybe we shoot some guns over Taiwan because Nancy Pelosi visited we don't want her to do that because she's treating it like it's a separate country. And it's not a separate country. It's part of China because we won the Civil War. Maybe we shoot some guns about this. That's why the military buildup is bad. And of course, it leads directly to hypothesis number four. War is likely. TikTok is on the bad list. As well as the good list. Spying, manipulation, coercion. There are armies of engineers in both countries and elsewhere, outside of our countries, outside of the United States and China. Armies of engineers and, and scientists. I don't know, man. I don't know if you would call them scientists if they're doing this. There's got to be some sort of ethical review. I think it was Andrew Eng who said, the artificial intelligence guru and, and you know leader, who said that the best minds of our generation are spending their time trying to get people to click on ads. 
that's sort of what AI is in some large measure. TikTok's part of that. Manipulation and coercion. Coercion goes hand-in-hand with the spying. Mice, money, ideology, compromise, and ego. You think you could find one of those things in somebody's TikTok videos? TikTok videos are public, but you know, aren't they? Can you do, do you, can you, is it like, is there a privacy setting on TikTok? Probably not, right? It's probably mostly like YouTube. I will learn more about TikTok in the coming weeks and months because um, there's no excuse for me not knowing more about it, but nonetheless, I don't know much at this point. Never got into Snap either, and I think I just saved myself a bunch of trouble because isn't Snap like going the wrong way? Okay. Military buildup, TikTok, and ByteDance are on both lists, the best and the worst. And, you know, this you could put them on the war list, too. That's the third list we're going to talk about, but we'll leave it aside. Now let's get to the worst, worst. That's that. Let's get to the thing that I've already mentioned that's on the worst list, and it has no redeeming aspects. Organ harvesting. Harvesting, as in, you don't ask the plants when they want to be cut and thrown in the tractor trailer the truck or the so I, I wish I could drop a really good farm word a really good term for a, a piece of heavy farm equipment but I can't are you surprised by that do I look like I should have known that a youtuber a podcaster well in a white shirt you can't wear this shirt on a farm I mean why would you you can barely wear it podcasting very easy to get a white shirt dirty can't drink any coffee at least you can't do it carelessly as i prefer to do organ harvesting are you kidding me killing people for their organs game set match why are we talking about this why is anyone dealing why does anyone have diplomatic relations with china this is not speculative anymore for years it was for years there were only a, a few people who who were on to it. And it seems to have started with the Falun Gong, which started long before she might have even started in the 90s. I think that was under Zhang Zemin, the Falun Gong persecution. But now you can see the U.S. House Human Rights Commission, the U.N. Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, they write reports on this stuff. Thanks, but hello? Are we that impotent as a global civilization or, or global interconnected set of different civilizations? They can be killing people to take their organs and give them to the highest bidder. And we're like hand-wringing about it. Well, sort of, yeah. I mean, look at Ukraine. The whole world is basically, not the whole world, not China, not a couple of other countries. But our part, the part, the part of the world that we like, totally against Ukraine, but what can you do about it? What can you do when a country has that much power? China, uh, uh, Russia doesn't have that much economic power. I've, I've heard that their economy is like smaller than New Jersey, or it's about the size of New Jersey. But they got nukes. More nukes than anybody. China doesn't have a ton of nukes, but they have a U.S.-sized economy. There are a lot of people who aren't going to get their income for the month 
or the rest of the year or until they totally reorganize their lives if we suddenly refuse to deal economically with China. And by the way, a lot of, well, that's, that's one of the, it's going to be one of the most noticeable and early impacts of a war with China if a hot war breaks out. A cyber war is already going on. Like this, I, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but there's this is it's well known that the war the war on the wire, so to speak, has been going on. Attribution is a little bit more difficult. You can't always tell who's can't always you can never tell who's hacking you if they're a competent hacker, if they're an advanced persistent threat in APT. It's impossible to be sure of who it is because it's just the nature of bits and bytes and networks you can't you're not dealing with photons you're not dealing with objects that are independently triangulatable via different sensory devices you're just getting bits and bytes but if it turns into a hot war the economies are going to suffer both on both sides in fact that was the point that the guy in the in the ft was making that we talked about a couple of segments ago um yeah you know Tensions are ratcheting up, but it's, it's the consumers that demand that we continue to cooperate and that we should watch Apple. If Apple starts to show signs of signs, then maybe things are shifting from the, you know, economics winning the day to the political hot tempers or nationalist fevers. Those are not the right ways of describing it, but you know what I mean. Things are shifting the other way. People are caring less about doing business and getting iPhones and importing and exporting oil and more about the bad guys, the enemy. Organ harvesting. Are you kidding me? And then there's the Uyghurs, the Muslims who are being persecuted and probably, you know, a big chunk, if not the majority of those organs, Uyghur organs. We shouldn't be talking about Uyghur Muslims. We should be talking about Uyghur, organ, Uyghur, Uyghur organs because that's a bit more jarring. Persecution. Oh, persecution. How many UN reports or Human Rights Watch or MSF or, you know, all these <laughs> neutral aid agencies and neutral arbiters and bodies and people who watch this stuff? How many, how many times... Do you think they use the word persecution on their websites or in a day in conversation with the outside world, with the media and with anyone who will listen? Persecution. It's overused. We, we are, the, the Uyghur Muslims are not being persecuted. They're being interned in camps. We have photos of it. Not a lot of photos because China controls China or the CCP controls China. So it's hard to get in and hard to get out if you're there to take photos of what they don't want you to see. But some have gotten out. Uyghur organs is what I said. Whereas from others, you might be hearing the persecution of blah, 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 blah. Don't think persecution. Think surgery. Think I shoot you and the doctor starts taking out the organs while you're still alive. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, I should have given you a warning about this, but that's the reality of organ harvesting and the Uyghurs and the Falun Gong and political prisoners. I mean, what happened to the people in Hong Kong who got extradited to the mainland 
after the protests. Does anybody have their organs? Do any wealthy people walk around right now with, their, with, with the organs of Hong Kong protesters? Well, if they're doing it, why not? Why isn't that just as... The only thing is statistics that it's less likely because you got way more of one, one group than the other. But come on, man. And then there's Kai Strittmater and Ross Anderson I talked about at the top, the surveillance state. So let's say you got a government that's doing all that organy stuff. And they've also got cameras on the corners of every street. They say that the Strittmater and, and Anderson, I think they both say this, certainly Strittmater does, um, that, that basically Xinjiang, and I know I've, I've done a poor job of pronouncing, like, it's not Deng Xiaoping, it's Deng Xiaoping. I said John Keys. I'm not, you know, I'm out of my depth here. You gotta, you gotta do your best to, to, to be generous with my pronunciation. They say that in Xinjiang, that's where they're developing and testing and and, and perfecting the surveillance state technology, cameras, the city brain sort of um, harvesting and and utilizing the data that the cameras can provide. That's first you test it someplace. Sort of like what Russia did with, um, what country was it before Ukraine? Well, it's sort of like they were testing a lot of stuff on Ukraine and then they just invaded Ukraine. But a lot of people for a while thought, and don't ask me to cite this, I don't remember. It's probably, I think it was in Wired or something. There was an article about how someone was, no, it was also Bruce Schneier. Anyway, never mind. I set that aside. There's too many things. Um, you test things out before you deploy them to the wider world. You know, Silicon Valley is a great place if you want to be a guinea pig for new technology, new phones, new apps and stuff. They, people roll them out locally and see how they work and then improve them before they roll them out globally or nationally. That's what they're doing with the surveillance state in Xinjiang. Xinjiang. Is what, is what we're told from the people who are doing the work, doing the legwork, doing the reporting. What happens if this surveillance state becomes, you know, sort of like a product? I mean, it's, 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 it's computers and software, computer software sensors. Can you sell that? Would there, would there be any buyers? Yeah, of course you can, and yes, there would. I mean, assuming you have no sympathy for the Chinese people themselves, who are the first and most victims of this surveillance state, this dystopian, this real, like, maybe 1984 can happen sort of stuff because now the technology is serious. I just read today. It's Bertrand Russell, a couple of pages from a book Bertrand Russell wrote that I'd never heard of before. The thing about Bertrand Russell is he wrote so darn much that... Darn. I don't say darn. He wrote so damn much that you can basically find a quote of his for anything. That's what, um... That's what... Will and Ariel Durant say about history. The problem with history is that there's so much of it that you can make a case for anything. You can always find what you're looking for if you're looking for evidence of something in, in the history books. The same thing sort of applies to Bertrand Russell's um, life's work. It feels, I, I was in a university library once. I think it filled two shelves. Two, you know, four-foot shelves. 
this is a different time. <laughs> let's say let's not let's not let's not assume that someone could do that these days. How did I get onto that? Bertrand. Oh yeah, yeah. He was talking about the scientific, the, the effect of science on society. I'll, I'll talk about that later. That's that's going to be an interesting thing. I, I haven't developed that. I only just discovered that today. What happens if you can't get out from under a surveillance state? You, you think all the people will eventually rise up? Why? Why do you believe that? You you could have said that about China in 2020, 2014. The people will rise up. They won't stand for this. Okay. Well, between 2014 and 2015, they didn't. But they will. Okay. Between 2015 and 2016, they didn't. Okay. Between 2016 and now, they didn't. They didn't or they can't. It is possible, just like it is possible to lose a battle for your life, for your own individual life, if you are against a large animal or an armed person when you are not armed or not prepared, you can lose the battle as, as an individual or as a group against a surveillance state, as a total, against a totalitarian state. Lots of people did during World War II lots of other nightmare scenarios all over the world that have happened in greater or lesser degree every year since when do we start we're going to go back to Genghis Khan you ever read about that guy the surveillance state not good not good they're not the only ones doing it but it's worse there and it's exportable other bad things, COVID and the zero COVID lockdowns. We don't really know whether COVID was an accident of wet market form or, you know, biohazard level four sort of thing. Gosh, this video is going to get demonetized. That's okay. None of my videos are monetized. It's fine. I know that that's, I've heard that, you know, if you say certain things, Google's like, you can't say that. Fair enough. It's their platform, whatever. But um, we don't really know. I don't think anybody really believes it was done on purpose, but some people probably do. Um, but the real, the reason that COVID's in the bad category, other than obviously it's bad, is because the cover-up, the, 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 the stonewalling, the opacity. I mean, imagine, you know, this terrible thing that's happening that should be contained and from which we should all be protected globally. Chinese Communist Party did exactly the opposite. Now, you might say, oh, it was the local CCP. It wasn't the central government. Okay, fine, whatever. CCP is CCP. And they had an incentive, multiple incentives, to do it the way that they did. Problem's got to be fixed. You can't let a pandemic, you can't let a dangerous, communicable, airborne disease spread throughout the globe because, <laughs> because your, your government bureaucratic incentives are misaligned. And I can't, I don't want to like dig up the sources and stuff, but like people were predicting this stuff. Like they were saying when people used to predict, you, you can find, you know, predictions of, of, of a pandemic, like where would it start and what would it be like? And it's like some people, I think a couple of people hit it, the nail on the head. It's like, it's going to be a coronavirus and it's going to be in some wet market in China before it happened. Um, would have been nice if they had a more open and accountable government and society so that we all didn't have to get COVID. 
Hong Kong. These people were protesting for democracy, and the Chinese Communist Party stayed well behind the scenes throughout the whole thing, but they were in control of of Ledgeco and Carrie Lam and and ultimately the national security law that sort of snuffed out that that um, budding revolution. And I'm sorry, but you got to pick sides in this life, and I'm pro-Hong Kong, 100%. I don't even know how you could... And some people do see it the other way, you know, stability, and they're, they're, they want to be part of China, but more people want it out. If that many people were on the streets, you know that there were a lot of scared people who supported them, but weren't even on the streets. I mean, it's just, it seems like no contest. So the snuffing out of Hong Kong and Taiwan, Pelosi's visit, the military exercises that were undoubtedly planned long before that because they were so, the scale of them was so large. That's not good. Taiwan's a separate country. I don't care what you say. I mean, I do care what you say, but I'm like, <laughs> I get, I get why the Chinese Communist Party and the, and, and Chinese nationalists, um, they think that Taiwan is part of China. Like China, they, they won the civil war, but the losers went and grabbed an island. Taiwan used to be like under Japan's control, and all, it's all this. There's a lot of history in in East Asia and Southeast Asia. Um, but it's not, nobody thinks that there was no treaty signed, you know, for, for a long time, the, the nationalists were recognized by the UN and then it switched in the seventies, sort of real politics sort of thing, but they, okay. Consolation prize. You get the mainland communists and you can come take Taiwan if you can take it. That's sort of, that was sort of the deal. Not really a deal, but you know, that's the, that's the reality of the situation. But now the Chinese Communist Party sees it as, well, yeah, we'll take it. Just give us a few more years. We're going to prepare. Make sure we get it. No. Taiwan's a separate country. And hopefully it'll stay that way. And hopefully the international community will start treating it like that. But then we come to category three, war. World's a complicated place, man. War with Russia over Ukraine. War with China over Taiwan. Nobody wants that. The world is a complicated, difficult, agonizing place. The Chinese military buildup and the aggressive expansion into the South China Sea, the tacit support by China for Russia and its, its, its invasion of Ukraine. But what does all this mean for war with the United States? The prospect of it, the danger of it, the worst thing that, could, the worst thing that will happen in our lives, in our lifetimes, and maybe the worst thing in the history of humanity because it's going to be a thermonuclear war if we don't find a way to stop it from being that. Well, the first thing that we have to remember, you know, amongst the best and the worst of China, 
and the and how those things affect prospects for war is that you can't stop human beings. They're hustling over there, man. They're hustling. They might not always be doing it for reasons that we like, but that's theirs. That decision, that judgment to make. It's their it's their lives, their world, their country. You can't say you can't you can't put a bunch of oughts and shoulds on a people you don't understand and a people who are clearly doing what everybody's doing, trying to trying to get make things better. You know? There's no we don't have enough vocabulary around this idea of betterment. We should have a rich always churning and relevant and and Im- <laughs> pervasive vocabulary around betterment and we don't really you know it's like well, we talk we talk about things getting worse we're really good at that nature has sort of primed us for that right loss feels twice as bad as gain feels good maybe that's why you can't stop humans from hustling you can't stop competition you're not going to stop the number two dog in the fight from wanting to be number one this whole china dream 100 year marathon you know, unrestricted warfare, that is to be expected in a competition. You just don't, you just want to avoid Graham Allison's Thucydides trap. You want to avoid it turning into a hot war. And it's been done. It's been, I mean, the biggest example is the Soviet Union and the United States. The Cold War ended and it never got hot. or never got globally hot. Never got thermonuclear hot. We want the China-U.S. competition to go the same way. Let there be a victor. Let the victor not be a dystopian totalitarian nightmare. And let nuclear war not be the means of victory. You can stop evil if you focus on it. If you know about it and you focus on it. You might not be able to stop humans hustling. You might not be able to stop competition amongst humans and groups of humans. You can stop evil. But who was it that said that the only thing that for necessary for evil to thrive is for good men to do nothing? So we can't do nothing. And, of course, we can stop catastrophic war. I'm going to leave you with a couple of questions. I don't have answers to these, but they've really started to percolate in my mind. The first one is a smaller one, and it still feels huge. What would a mobilization look like? War between China and the United States. What would a mobilization, a, a mobilization for war in the United States and in China, what would that look like? And the second question is, can you stop an artelect war? Hugo de Garris. A war over the question of whether we should build ultra-intelligent machines or machines that keep getting smarter and will eventually become ultra-intelligent machines. A war between two human groups, the cosmists who want to do it and the Terrans who don't. Can you stop that? Who will the sides in that war even be? Will they, they certainly won't line up with the boundaries of China and the United States. But China and the United States are the two leaders in artificial intelligence. By a mile. By a mile. Can you stop an art elect war? 
We know we can stop a, a, the, uh, a thermonuclear war that's presenting. That's, that's what the Cold War was. A war that didn't happen or a thermonuclear war that didn't happen. Can you stop an Arlecht war? Is it even about the humans or is it about nature not effing around? We know China's not effing around, but so they shouldn't be. The Chinese people should hustle hard and go for the best lives that they can possibly make for themselves. Moral constraints on that? Yeah, please. Hopefully, of course. But it's not for one people to moralize to another because the people doing the moralizing always have skeletons, always have a log in their eye when they see the splinter in yours. Right? Biblical reference. I don't have a lot of those, but that's a biblical reference, right? I don't know. Can you stop an artelect war? Is it even is it even up to the humans or is, is it nature not effing around? There's more to say about these two questions, mobilization and an artelect war. All references will be in the PDF notes. Retrace.com, R-E-T-R-A-I-C-E.com. This has been segment number 49. Next segment's tomorrow, same time. 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Specific, and all the other times. China, 12 noon. Australia, 3 p.m. Britain, 4 a.m. The pub will be crowded. Signing off.